Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. So my name's Justin Gottlieb. I'm one of the pastors here at Seven Mile Road, and this is the time in our service where we get to open the Bible and hear straight from God, straight from His Word, to hear about who he is and about what he's done in the words and ways that he's chosen to reveal himself to us. So that's that's what we get to do now, and it's a privilege to get to do that with you. So we're going to be spending this time in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 forward. So to start, I want to tell you, I have a contact saved in my phone that hasn't been used in 12 years. There, in fact, when I first put it in there, I was putting it into, um, it may have been a Motorola Razor. Um, so a long time, not the new one that f- with the fold screen. So there are only three times in my life that it's been used. And the first was September 3rd, 2004. And I remember it because it was the first time that Mariah and I had ever gone to Fenway Park. We were in town visiting school and got a tour and great seats for a Friday night Sox game. Pedro threw a seven inning shutout with nine strikeouts and Manny hit an opposite field homer into the bullpen. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I know that you're now thinking that this is the phone number of a a ticket scalper in Kenmore Square, but it's not. The next two times I used the number were in May of 2010, and I remember remember this because we watched the game from the owner's box with Mariah's family. See, through a very bizarre set of circumstances, very bizarre, a family member of Mariah's had become friends with the Red Sox owner in the early 2000s, and we were the beneficiaries of that. So when he found out that, Mariah's, that we were going to be in town in 2006, he passed along his assistant's phone number and said to call to line up some tickets for our visit. And then when, when Mariah's family member was in town in 2010, the same thing happened again. So that's the, the three times I used it was then. It's now been 12 years since I last used that phone number, but I can't bring myself to delete it. There's no reason why I would possibly need it. There's none. We all know what would happen if I call now, right, without an invite. Hello, this is Justin Gottlieb. We've never met in person, but in 2006 and in 2010, we spoke on the phone, and both of those times you set us up with great tickets. I was hoping you could do that again this weekend. I'm sorry, you're who? Right, that's what happens. And I go, I'm Justin. We talked back in 2010, and I'm a family member of a friend of, I'm sorry, Justin, I don't know you and I can't give you tickets for no reason. Please delete my number. (laughs) Bye. Right? So while I still have that number, and see, it wasn't a ticket scalper's number. Um, While I still have that number and there was past proximity through others, the window has closed on my relationship with the Red Sox front office. And not because I was for the J.D. Drew contract. We all know that it would be crazy for me to show up on Yawkey Way, place a call, and expect someone to come outside with an envelope that has my name on it and invite me in, right? Though I can stand here and point to past interactions of another person, there was no relationship built of my own. See, the blessing came from a friendship built by another. It was never mine. So when it comes to me getting great Red Sox tickets, past proximity does not equal future blessing. Now, I've been talking about baseball tickets, but it's very likely that many of us have received some blessing, some sort of blessing, through a relationship that was built by someone else 
too. And so though the relationship is not our own, we've received some blessing from that. When I was in college, I had the most boring, but also the easiest summer job and Christmas break job in the accounts receivable department of the hospital my mom worked at. It took me less than a day to realize that because of my mom's position, I could show up late, take long lunches, leave early, get paid the same, and that no one would say anything to me. Right? And it took most of the summer before my boss's boss finally was like, hey, Justin, could you come back from lunch sooner? I was like, okay, if that'll help you, right? And so as a side note, my mom's awesome, and she had no clue and would have supported them firing me if she knew what was happening. But regardless, I received a great chance to make money whenever it fit my schedule because of my mom, because of my mom's hard work over the years. But I never did anything to secure that on my own there. And if I went back to that department today and applied for a job on my own, there's no way they would hire me. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. See, through the relationship of another, I received blessing. But if I had been forced to stand on my own performance, I would have been on the outside looking in, and I should have been on the outside looking in. And it may not look exactly like my stories, but you may have experience with some similar situations. And as we continue in Luke 13 today, we're going to see that that while um, baseball and accounts receivable might be new, that situations like these are not. In fact, we're going to see that proximity to God's promises gave some in Jesus' day an expectation of security that they should not have. So let's pray, and then we're going to get started there. Spirit of God, I pray you would be with us now. I pray that you would help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us hear your word and respond rightly to you. Would you do that work in us now, Spirit? I pray that you might. Amen. All right, we're going to start in Luke 13, 22. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. For the first time in Luke, we've just heard that Jesus is journeying, journeying to Jerusalem. We don't get an itinerary here of where he'll stop along the way for meals and a hotel, but we do get the main point. He's traveling through all these towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. The destination is set, and as he makes his journey, Jesus will be teaching. And as he is, someone said to him, this verse 23, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So we don't know who asked the question or how many people were around, but we see that someone had been listening and somebody had been hearing Jesus's warnings. And as they did, they asked a natural question. Will those who are saved be few? And the reason I say it's a fair question is because in our sermon from a couple weeks ago, Jesus made the point that the kingdom of God was, <clears throat> was, uh, was present as a woman, 18 years, bent over, had her back straightened, and a crippling spirit was removed. And on the heels of that, in last week's sermon, Jesus said that the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And we also heard Jesus say last week that the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. We've heard Jesus say these things. You can imagine this person hearing those things and asking, if the kingdom of God is like a tree and some yeast, 
is it going to be very big? Right? Like, how big is this tree? Right? How, how big is this, this bread? Right? If, if that's what the kingdom of God is like, how many people will be there? And Jesus, as he often does, takes the question and changes it to a personal application for the questioner. And he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Two things should stand out to us here. First, we must strive. We must strive. What does it mean that we must strive? Because, and, and that's a fair question too. You might be thinking, Justin, you and the other pastors and, and a bunch of folks around here tell us all the time that we don't have to earn salvation, but now Jesus is telling us to strive. Yes, you're correct. That happens. Jesus' point here is not to say that you and I are earning salvation, that we are earning the kingdom through doing good and showing up on Sundays and going to our gospel communities and serving with the kids and tithing. Right? Jesus isn't saying that. You don't earn the kingdom. The striving Jesus is talking about is around hearing the word of God and responding to it. It's around hearing the word of God and responding to it. Striving is opening your Bible and reading it while asking what is God saying in these scriptures? What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? What would change if I believed this? And then responding to that with faith and hope and trust in God. Striving is putting ourselves into the rhythms and repetition of gospel-centered community, of life, of worship, word, prayer, community, with everything we have, with all the energy we have, striving to do that, and begging that the Spirit will make the kingdom of God take root here. This is striving. Right? This is it. Begging that the Spirit of God will make the kingdom take root here. Second, we may be caught off guard that Jesus says that the door we should strive to enter is narrow. Did you guys notice the narrow part? See, because of the sin we've inherited and the sin we've committed, the door to the kingdom of God could not be opened by us. The door was closed with no way to be pried open. But God has opened the door from the inside. Jesus has opened the door. It was slammed shut. It was barred. This was a door that even the folks on money heist couldn't get through. No righteousness any of us could muster would gain even the tiniest of cracks to sneak through, but the perfect sinless son of God has come. Christ has come. Christ has lived a perfect life. Christ has died a perfect death. Christ has risen victorious over death. And Christ will return to put away sin, death, and pain forever. So now that door that was closed has now been opened by Jesus. But he's telling us it's narrow because that door is not for those who believe they're righteous on their own. The blood of Jesus has covered our sin and provided us forgiveness, and it is the righteousness he offers alone that makes the way into the kingdom of God. Jesus said it in Luke 5.32 to the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling about him hanging out with sinners. He said this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the door is opened by Jesus for us to walk through, but it's the ones who know they are sinners, the ones who know they are broken, that will walk through. It's only the ones who, will, who, who don't try to squeeze through 
with their own bag of achievements that can slide through the narrow door. See, the proud, the righteous, the ones who have it all figured out won't walk through. The door is too narrow. See, the world offers all sorts of other doors, plenty of other doors, that falsely promise salvation for those who have it figured out. But Jesus says those doors do not lead to the kingdom of God. Only one does. And it's a narrow door. Many will seek to enter and not be able, Jesus says. But we may ask, then, why would that be the case? So he explains with a brief parable in, in 25, verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, saying Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. First, we see that there is a time when the door will close. The door will be shut. Though Christ has opened it, we must not take for granted that it will be open forever. This is not a new message in Luke. If you remember the parable of the, the fig tree a few weeks back, Jesus was pressing us to move with urgency, but it's a merciful message. It's a merciful warning he gives. Nevertheless, in this parable, the master of the house has shut the door and some are left outside wanting in. And what's fascinating here is the surprise of the people left outside. Did you notice that? There was an expectation that they would be coming in. They're expecting the door to be open. They're assuming some status that would allow them entry. They assume entry is promised. So they knock on the door. Surely they will get in, they think. But based on what? So we've been reading in Luke for a while now, and we've seen over and over that the religious leaders of the day have assumed entry into the kingdom of God based on their status as children of Abraham. They've assumed unconditional entry into the kingdom. And even John the Baptist warned them way back in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. He said, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. He says, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. But now Jesus is making this clear. Their status does not promise entry. Family connection is not what gains entry. Family tradition is not what gains entry. Again, it's hearing the word of God and responding that gains entry into the kingdom. And this is like me showing up unannounced at the next Red Sox homestand and calling the number on my phone, talking about how we're old friends. It's not going to work, right? I'd be crazy to think that. I was going to be anything but disappointed. So the folks left outside, realizing that he's not planning to let them in, reply to the master, but we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. This time, instead of banking on family heritage, instead of banking on their family connection to Abraham, those stuck outside are reminding Jesus of the meals they had with him. You can imagine them. But Jesus, we had pizza at Santarpio's. 
Or remember when we were at Mexico Lindo and I spilled some salsa and it was funny, Jesus. I got my robe messed up. Remember that, Jesus? We're close, right? You can, you can hear these things. But again, they're left outside because familiarity with Jesus was never the point. It's not just that they're left outside, but the master says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. And it seems harsh at first, but the point was never them just seeing Jesus or eating a meal with Jesus or talking with Jesus or being on Jesus' team when they play pickup game, a pickup game. And for us, having a Bible or listening to Christian music or coming here on Sunday mornings or name a hundred things is never the point. The point is not only hearing Jesus, but receiving Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. The point is not only hearing Jesus, but receiving Jesus. Receiving Jesus is the point. And if we receive who Jesus is, then we'll respond to him with humility and faith. We won't simply be familiar with him. We'll know him as Lord. See, true familiarity with Jesus is not having him as an acquaintance, but knowing him as Lord. True familiarity with Jesus is not having him as an acquaintance, but knowing him as Lord. So truly knowing Jesus is hearing and doing what he commands. And those who hear and respond to Jesus will not be left outside. In verse 28, he continues. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. For those left outside the kingdom, the realities are horrific. They're horrific. Those left outside will see the patriarchs. They'll see those they've claimed as fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. They'll see their heroes in the kingdom of God, and they'll expect to be there with them. But the reality is that without knowing Jesus, without really knowing him, without really trusting him, they'll be on the outside looking in. And when this reality comes clear and they see what has happened, The emotional pain will overflow to the physical, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many in Israel had seemingly had everything working for their inclusion. But according to Jesus here, they've excluded themselves. Isn't that frightening? Everything was going their way, and they managed to exclude themselves from the kingdom of God. Everything about their circumstance, being born into God's people, Their teaching, their heritage made them think that they'd be in the kingdom. But they will have missed the kingdom because they missed Jesus. Their confidence in who they were rather than who Jesus is led them to miss out. They were familiar with Jesus, but not followers of Jesus. And as a result, they will see others in the kingdom and themselves cast out of the kingdom. Now, if we hear this and think back to the question that started this passage, Lord, 
will those who are saved be few? You might then think that the number of people would be few, right? If Jesus came to a small number of people in Israel and a bunch of them are not recognizing who he is and will miss out on the kingdom, then maybe there won't be that many people in the kingdom of God. Yet as Jesus continues, it doesn't seem that way at all. He says that people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So while many who expect to be inside the kingdom, Israel, will in fact be outside, many from outside the kingdom of Israel will in fact be inside the kingdom of God. That makes sense? Like all these people that think they're going to be inside, some of them are going to not be. But the people outside that you never would have thought are going to end up inside. And this would have been the greatest surprise to those resting on their proximity to God's promise. This would have been the greatest surprise to those resting in their performance, but never responding rightly to Jesus. Those who will be found inside the kingdom will come from everywhere, right? They will come from north, south, east, and west. They'll come from many nations. They'll be of many races. While many who claim to have Abraham as their father will be cast out, many from outside of Israel will find themselves alongside the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, in the kingdom of God. Some who are first will be last. Some who are first will be last. And some who are last will be first. This was what was so hard for people in Jesus' day and so hard in our day. Sin has done this to us. Instead of realizing that we must receive Jesus as the Son of God who came to save, instead of realizing who He is and responding rightly to Him through repentance and faith, through striving to enter the narrow door, it's seemingly so much easier to rest in who we are, where we come from, what our connections are, how good we can be, what we have to offer. But in doing that, we so easily miss out on Jesus. And we so easily miss out on the kingdom of God. It's not that few people will be saved, but that the unexpected will be. That's what Jesus is getting at here. It's not that few people will be saved, but that many of the unexpected will be. The kingdom of God will not be filled with those who merely inherit it. It will be filled with those who have heard and received Jesus as king. So here's our application today, and it doesn't really matter where you come from. It's Jesus' words. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. If you come from a family that had everything to do with Jesus, and we pray you do. Kids that are growing up in this church, we pray so much that you, that this is your story. God's been so kind to you. If the life God has given you has consisted of tons of Bible stories, tons of people praying for you, faithful parents and family, receive that as grace. But know that you too must strive to enter the narrow door. Strive to enter the narrow door. You too must come to hear who Jesus is as the one who bled and died for your sins. And you too must trust him. You must 
follow him. But if you don't come from a family that was around Jesus and his church, if all this seems strange to you and you're figuring it out, we're so glad you're here. So, so glad you're here. We pray to God that he would allow us to be helpful to you hearing about Jesus from his word and helpful to you hearing about Jesus is good news and providing you space and a safe place and the time you need to consider what Jesus' news means for your life. If that's you and this Jesus thing is new, know that Jesus' plan from the very beginning was not just that church folks would be part of his kingdom, but that he's always known and worked so that those who were seemingly far from him, far from him, were not just welcomed into the kingdom of God, but part of it. Jesus has made a way for you, so please hear his words today that you must follow him. Wherever you're at, let's strive to enter the narrow door. Let's not be fooled into simply being familiar with Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. Would you pray?